Well, thanks so much, Olivia. And good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at EV. It's so good to be uh, with you. And if you are here visiting or here for the first time, I want to add my welcome to Marcus's. Uh, what a joy it is to be able to gather together. And um, I'm really enjoying these new drapes and the kids talk just now. So uh, what a great passage we have in front of us. You know, this uh, week I've been reflecting on the fact that recently I've had to be repeating myself a lot at home. Uh, I've got some children, and it's not because I'm talking too quietly to them or because I'm being unclear, but I keep saying things like, please put your socks and shoes on so we can leave. Please put your socks and shoes on so we can leave. Or please pack your things away. Please pack your things away. I'm like, are you not hearing me? One of our children even uh, had this habit of every time we would say something or ask a question, the response was inevitably, huh? Hmm? What? Like, did she have a serious hearing problem? <laughs> you know, listening, it's, it's not as easy as we think, is it? Uh, researchers tell us uh, that generally we only listen with about 25% efficiency. Uh, this means that three quarters of what I'm about to say is going to be lost on the average person in this room. <laughs> Uh, but interestingly, we spend at least 45% of our communication time listening, uh, whether actively or passively, you make up your mind. But do the math on that. Uh, we spend more time um, communicating, we spend more time listening when we're communicating than we do uh, anything else. But the evidence points to the fact that we're just poor listeners. We're not great at listening. And as we come to today's passage, we see that Jesus is giving his disciples a listening test. It's a timeless test that Matthew has recorded for us also. And because at this moment in, in Matthew's gospel, as we head into chapter 13, uh, the, the, the scene sort of shifts from the way in which Jesus communicates. Previously, he's been doing a bunch of kind of miracles that have been demonstrations of the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. But now it moves into sort of riddles and stories. Now, some of you might like riddles. Uh, I've got one for you on the screen this morning. I speak without a mouth and hear without ears. I have no body, but I come alive with wind. What am I? Now, as you're thinking and pondering that question, the stories that Jesus tells are not stories that need to be solved like this riddle, right? The stories that Jesus tells are, are communicating a truth for us. Now, the answer to this riddle, has anyone guessed it yet? Excellent, someone's called it out, an echo. Riddle solved. But when Jesus is telling stories, he's giving earthly examples that point to something much deeper, a heavenly uh, truth. And so in chapter 13, we've got seven such stories, but why don't we ask God that he would help us to understand them? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, that you have gathered us here this morning, and we thank you for your word, that in it you reveal to us the truth of the gospel. And we ask that this morning you'd help us to continue to see you for who you are and to live in right response to that word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and keep your Bibles open, because as we uh, jump into the top uh, verse of chapter 13, uh, we see that it opens with large crowds surrounding Jesus on the seashore. And he does like what any uh, man might do when he's being crowded by people. He jumps into a boat and he like goes, rows out to the, to the, um, uh, on the sea in front of the shore there. And he's sitting in the boat on the bay. And the first story starts in chapter 13, verse 3. 
And it's a story, as we saw in the kids' talk, about a farmer who uh, heads out and is spreading seed at the start of the growing season. And he throws his seed out on the soil. Uh, now, some of it invariably falls on the hard path. This is kind of like the, the trodden ground where people would walk that marked out the fields. Uh, then other seed falls on uh, this rocky area. There's not kind of like the farmer's literally thrown on rocks, but more like rocks that are covered with a thin layer of soil. And then other, other seed is, falls into areas that already have weeds and things growing there. And so then the farmer, he kind of uh, gets his uh, GoPro and he sets it up and he makes a time-lapse video uh, to see where the best place to plant the seed is in his field, right? And the results of the experiment come in in this story. The first uh, place where the path is, the birds come along and they, they eat the seed, so that's no good. Uh, then the, the next place where there's thin soil, uh, that, that doesn't grow very well because there's no, not enough soil to, for the roots to go deep. And then... They, then, the, then the next soil, uh, the seeds go in next to some thorns, and so clearly that's not a good place to plant seeds either. But here's the newsflash, right? If you put seeds in good soil, well, that's going to produce a bumper crop, right? Now, is this what Jesus is trying to communicate? Is he speaking to some farmers, and he's the expert gardener trying to give some helpful advice on how to sow seed? It's certainly an agrarian culture that Jesus is speaking into. And so there's a sense in which Jesus has definitely been relatable to the crowd that's listening. But I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about, is it? Now, could it be that Jesus is just trying to show off with these sort of uh, mysterious riddles, riddles that may need to be solved? Jesus is like speaking in uh, enigmatic sort of sayings, you know? Um, things like, uh, you know, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Hmm... Or, or, in order to find yourself, you must first lose yourself. Or, you know, my favorite, the darkest hour is just before the dawn. Hang in there. This is the kind of, like, enigmatic sayings that, that people throw around. Is that, is that what Jesus is on about? No. The gospel may, the gospel's not complex or convoluted. It's simple and easy. And so, what is Jesus doing here? Well, what is the point of this story? How do parables actually work? Now, fortunately for us, Matthew is really helpful because not only uh, uh, may we be confused, but the disciples are also confused. And so, they wade out to the boat that Jesus is sitting in, don't they? And in verse 10, they ask him, well, why are you speaking to this crowd in parables? And Jesus answers here, it's on the screen, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them, the crowd. So, so how does this happen? What does Jesus mean by secrets that are given to some but not to others? And so here's the thing that we need to know about how parables work. Parables in the Bible, they simultaneously conceal truth in line with God's Word, as well as reveal truth in line with God's Word. I'll say it again, parables, they conceal the truth from those who will not submit to Christ and His rule, but parables also reveal the truth to those who, by God's grace, will submit to Christ and His rule. And so, what I want to do this morning is try and firstly show you what I mean by how parables conceal and parables reveal. So, verse 13, Jesus carries on, He says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. 
Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, you will listen and listen, never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would heal them. See, Jesus is saying that one of the reasons that he speaks in parables is so that people won't understand his message. Well, this sounds a bit bit harsh, right? (laughs) Why wouldn't Jesus want all people everywhere to understand his message? You know, surely if if Jesus is about making everyone uh, know about the kingdom of God, that it's here right now with him, he would have that ability, right? He'd have that ability to make everyone understand. But friends, that's not how God operates, is it? God, he gives humanity responsibility for their actions. I wonder if you saw it there in verse 15, that this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears have grown hard of hearing. You see, the fault isn't with the message, but it's actually with the hearer. And this is how it was for Isaiah, God's prophet of old that was given a message uh, for his people. It was a message that put the people of Israel on trial because they had forgotten who their God was. They were a people who had become a, a sinful nation. And so Isaiah's job was to pronounce God's judgment on them. They were to repent and to turn back to God, but they wouldn't. And so the call on Isaiah's message was basically to go and speak to a people who had become dull of hearing. It's like that phrase, talking to a brick wall. (laughs) It was pointless. It It was fruitless. And Jesus is saying that he is like Isaiah. He comes bringing a word that falls on deaf ears to a people who listen and listen but will never understand. Now, Isaiah's prophecy was for his time, but it still stands true in Jesus' time, doesn't it? And these parables, they continue to keep people in their rebellion against the God who has loved them unconditionally, but refused to hear. Because parables conceal and reveal. And so, in the same way, or simultaneously, as parables conceal the Word of God to those who don't want to hear it, It also reveals the truths of the kingdom of God to those who will hear it. And so in verse 34, uh, which is a section in the chapter that we didn't read just now, so make sure you've got your Bibles open and head over there, it's also on the screen. But later on in this chapter, Jesus tells the crowds lots of things in parables. And he did not tell them anything without a parable. Why? Verse 35 so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept in secret from the foundation of the world. Now, what's going on here is that Jesus is quoting another Old Testament piece of Scripture in Psalm 78. He's talking about how uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of these these, uh, secrets that have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. That Jesus is the one who is uh, revealing these secrets through the parables that were prophesied about back in Psalm 78. And so, friends, it's in Jesus that the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God that comes to light. It's no longer a, a riddle that's kept secret. The secret is out. 
And so when we get to passages like Ephesians chapter 1, we read this, that in him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery, that secret of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. And so you see, don't you, that uh, as Jesus steps onto the stage of history, he is speaking in parables that not only conceal the kingdom of heaven, but they actually reveal the kingdom of heaven as well. This secret that was hidden for ages, that was spoken of, is now being clearly demonstrated in Jesus' arrival on the scene. And later on in Matthew's gospel, we're going to go on and see exactly how that fulfillment is played out at the cross. And so it's important for us to recognize that as we come to this section in Matthew's gospel, that parables are doing two things simultaneously. They're concealing and they're revealing. To those who persist in unbelief, the the mystery of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is clearly not seen. But to those of us that are receptive to what God is doing in Jesus, parables, they're like looking at a stained glass window from the inside of an old church. I don't know if you've ever been to any old churches. This is an old church, but it doesn't have any stained glass windows, sorry. Um, But if you've been around to other churches or or traveled overseas, there's marvelous stained glass windows, right? And uh, if you, I've got a, I've got a um, slide up on the screen, but if you're on the inside of the building, you, you have the, the sun, it shines through, and you can see these kind of beautiful, creative descriptions of, of Jesus and his, his works, or even some of these parables. But at the same time, if you're standing uh, outside the building, as the sun is streaming down on the church, the glass from the outside, it looks dull, it looks gray, right? It looks lifeless, You might be able to kind of make out some of the shapes, but you won't be able to see any of that kind of brilliant color that kind of comes through when you're on the inside. No, no, you have to be on the inside to see the effects of the stained glass. And so too it is with parables, that the secrets of the kingdom have been revealed to those on the inside, you might say, but for those on the outside, it's dull and gray and boring and not really for them. It's concealed. And so Christ's parables, they they conceal facts about his identity and mission from those who refuse to believe. But they also reveal aspects of the kingdom to those who seek to know him and to submit to his lordship over their life. And this is the key to understanding parables as as we go forward. They conceal and they reveal. And so we've seen now that the, the, the story and how parables are to function, but I want to take a brief moment and, and focus in on the seed that is featured in that story. Um, now, you know, this might be a, a, um, the helpfulness about this particular parable is that Jesus actually explains it for us. And so we don't need to kind of ponder and wonder and think through, like, what does Jesus mean by this farmer that goes out to sow seed? But in verse 18, Jesus explains the allegory of the the parable here, right? And so he says this, he says, listen, to the parable of the sower, anyone, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one that was sown along the path. And so before we go on, I just wanted to stop and to, to make sure that we saw there that the seed is the word about the kingdom. Did you see that? It's the word of the kingdom of heaven. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
if the seed equals the word of the kingdom, because Matthew is speaking about this word as the arrival of the king. It's the promised Messiah who is to fulfill the scriptures and usher in that heavenly kingdom. It's the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the incarnate Son of God. Now, this is helpful because I think sometimes we come to this parable, and if you've been around church circles for a while, you may even be familiar with it, and we kind of end up in this space where we think that the seed represents our faith. And so uh, the degree to which the seed grows is a reflection of the faith that we have, rather than seeing for itself that the seed is the Word. It's the Word that is being planted. It's the Word that's being sown. It's the very Word that spoke creation into existence, right? It's the Word that's now in bodily form. It's the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. And here's the thing about the seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. There's nothing corrupt or distorted. There's nothing wrong with the truth of the Word or even even Jesus' delivery of the Word. No, no, the fault is always on the hearers of the Word. The responsibility of the response is on those of us who hear this message. And yet, as we've just seen, we should not be surprised at the divided response to Jesus' teaching, should we? Throughout history, God's Word has been polarizing. God's Word is is good if only people were to be receptive to what Jesus has done for them. But we are a dull, stubborn, blinded generation, aren't we? I'm reminded of Isaiah 55. Um, I'll read it for us. It's, It's helpful just to look at the way in which God's Word acts. Isaiah says this to the people in his day, For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and and will prosper in what I send it to do. Friends, God's word always achieves its purpose. I'll say that again, God's Word always achieves its purpose. And so as we uh, sit here today, as we reflect on that moment when we first heard God's Word spoken into our lives, it's achieved its purpose. As we think about the people that we're trying to speak God's Word into their lives, and whether there's fruitfulness or not, it's achieving its purpose. Whenever we speak the, 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 uh, the gospel, the word of the kingdom, uh, people are going to respond in different ways, and that shouldn't surprise us as followers of Jesus. We're going to take a look at those four kind of responses next, but just a, a side note as we go on from here, we don't have time to kind of cover every parable in this chapter. Uh, Jesus has got six other, chap- six other parables in this chapter, uh, but they all kind of uh, focus on three themes. So maybe you want to write these down so you can like, look at them uh, in your connect groups throughout this week. But parable, the next six parables either focus on kind of gospel growth, the impact of the gospel, uh, gospel judgment, uh, or gospel gain. What is it that we, we find or gain in the, in, the gospel, in the parable because of the gospel? And so uh, make sure you get along to connect groups this week and, and, and think into that a little bit more. And as you do, 
be reminded that every parable, by and large, is just trying to communicate one central critical point. Don't get too caught up in the details. What's the main thing this parable is trying to communicate or trying to reveal to those who know and trust Jesus? All right, let's have a look at the soils. What's on view here is as we come along to uh, the sowing of God's Word is people's responses, right? It's it's how they hear the Word of God. It's how they hear the news of Jesus. And so uh, what I've done is I've tried to pair the the initial parable uh, that's spoken to the crowd with the explanation that Jesus gives. And so uh, the first scene um, of the hard path, it's the scene where Satan comes along and he snatches the Word away. The Word of God seems to have no impact on this person. And so uh, on the screen, verse 4, we we hear Jesus tell the parable, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. And then we jump down to verse 19, and the explanation is that, well, when anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. It's kind of like the, the, the news of Jesus, the, the, the word spoken, goes in one ear and out the other. Or kind of like they saw it and then it kind of vanished. It blew away. I don't know if you've ever seen like one of those planes uh, that write words in the sky. Um, you know, Andrew could have said, Mandy, look up in the sky, will you marry me? Um, but he didn't. He just like asked the question, that's fine. But... but that has happened, right? Like, people actually do that. I don't know how much that costs, but, it's, but, but like that, it's kind of there for a moment, and then it's gone, right? Um, someone, you know, kind of hears you talk about how uh, you met Jesus, and uh, you've responded in a certain way, <clears throat> and they're kind of like nodding along, doing the like active listening thing, and then they're kind of like, well, that's great for you. Um, cool. Have a nice day. Um, th- they can't even remember what you spoke to them, or... or or it doesn't have any impact on them. And so it is with these people. The Word of God is sort of snatched away before it makes any impact. They think nothing more of it. Or worse still, you go to start the conversation, and they're like, no, don't want to hear it. Stay away. Keep your Christianity to yourself. And if nothing else, friends, as we look at this first response, we ought to be reminded that the kingdom of God, it's a spiritual battle first and foremost, right? That's what's going on here. Uh, it's not all logical argument and persuasive reason. Uh, don't get me wrong, the, God, the gospel is logical <laughs> and, it, and totally persuasive to the mind of reason. But there's more going on here that Jesus keeps alluding us to. That like a bird to the farmer or, or writing in the sky, so Satan is to the word of God. He, he comes along and he snatches the words away. He puts other things in front, front of us and he distracts us. He overwhelms us. He fills us with great comfort and satisfaction in anything else but God. And so that seed never has a chance. It never takes root. Because the, the hearts of those people are hardened and callous. You know, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says in chapter 4, In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You've probably had that experience, maybe, where someone uh, looks into the claims of Christianity. They, they hear the message of Jesus dying in their place, but it just has no impact on their life at all. Maybe that's been you. 
Maybe it's still you, and you're here today. That's wonderful. But the, the, the claim here is to not stay that way. You know, the Pharisees were a good example of this, weren't they? they despite trying to trip Jesus up with their own logic in chapter 12 previously, uh, they still simply will not listen to Jesus and his message. It makes me think about the kind of modern-day atheist. Uh, they just so dogmatically believe there is no God, and, and that there's, uh, they do that kind of metaphorical equivalent of just like putting their fingers in their ears. <laughs> it's like in the, kids, in the kids' talk when Lara was putting her hands over the, the, the ears of... Or not even the, the uh, atheist, but even the agnostic, right? I've been reading this little book lately. It's called, Are You Sure You Want to Be an Agnostic? Quite a catchy title. Um, but in the opening chapters, it kind of, the author's describing really helpfully uh, how agnostics are, are skeptics who, m- more than not wanting to arrive at the truth, they, they actually just want to avoid arriving anywhere. They just kind of, it's like a lazy, lazy position to have. Um, no, I don't really care if Christianity is true or not. I just don't really want to arrive anywhere. And so it's kind of like a philo- philosophical handbrake, you know? They're like, yeah, I don't know. Just, it's too hard. It's, I don't know if it's true or not. And so for agnosticism, when it comes to Christianity, uh, it's not so much that they fear Christianity not being true. I think they actually fear that Christianity is not going to be good. It's this skeptical suspicion that God is a a killjoy, that he wants to spoil my life, limit my choices. He wants to suck out the fun that we could have in this life. Friends, all of this is a spiritual battle. (laughs) Let's not lose sight of that, because Satan is at work. And what he wants to do is whisk that word away. And our call is to keep showing people the evidence for Jesus, the historically reliable uh, evidence from the Scriptures, how that fits with our experience of the world, the claims that Jesus makes. But be reminded of this, that we cannot argue someone into the kingdom of God. Yeah? No, no, God must bring them in because this is a spiritual battle. And so keep holding out the claims of Jesus. And let's do battle, calling on the God who can act on our behalf. Let's be people who are prayerful about those who seem hard or callous to the the gospel. Well, that's the first kind of... uh, uh, landing for the seed, and then we move into the second one, which is uh, the, the rocky ground. So again, I've tried to pair them up. So in verse 5, we read in the parable to the crowd, other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. It grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Well, how does Jesus explain this? Well, in in verse 20, he says to the disciples, the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. And so when distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now this seed, it gets off to a flying start, right? It seems to kind of grow quickly in the person. They're they're really excited. But the but the seed at its roots has no depth. It's sort of a superficial uh, response to Jesus. And all that has to happen is a little bit of persecution, a little bit of trouble in this life. Oh, really? You believe in Jesus? And it withers in the sun. It's interesting, isn't it, how persecution and troubles in this life 
do often polarize people, don't they? They send people in one of two ways, either towards God or away from God. I grew up going to church all my life and you know, was involved in youth group and that sort of thing. And I remember one day sitting there and, and the person giving the youth talk was sort of saying, look, look around the room, guys. Uh, statistically, less than half of you will be Christians in 10 years' time. And I was thinking to myself, no, not this group of uh, youth group. Like, we're great. Like, we, we go on sports camps together and we, like, hang out all the time. It's going to be wonderful. We won't be a statistic. And yet, sure enough, uh, as we look back, and I don't want to tell you how old I am, but uh, uh, there are a number of people that have, uh, through persecution and trials in this life, are no longer walking with Jesus. It became too hard. That, that root wasn't as deep as it once looked. And I want us to make sure that we recognize in verse 21 that it's persecution that comes directly because of the word. Did you see that? It's not just like life got hard because I had too many kids or um, like, you know, uh, my car keeps breaking down. No, no, this is persecution that comes because of the word, the, the, the truth in which we believe that Jesus lived, died and rose again. And so, friends, one of the reminders from today's passage is to recognize that following Jesus will result in persecution. If it did for Jesus, it will for us, right? And so, how often is it that you feel like it would be easier just to give up Christianity altogether? Life would be easier, I'd have more time for myself, I could go bike riding on Sunday mornings, and I'd have more money and holidays, and I wouldn't have to keep having these kind of awkward conversations with people, and I could just go along with the current of, of cultural society. What will you be like when you get persecuted? when you're mocked because of your faith in Jesus, when you're not invited to things because of your, your allegiance to Christ, when you're talked down on in a condescending way because you believe in God, how will you respond? Now, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know where the, the persecution points are or um, how that might impact you. But there are points at the moment that just make it all too hard, right? They're too hard to come to Jesus, too hard to remain in Jesus. If that's you today, you, you come chat to us. Talk to someone that you're sitting next to. Talk to your connect group leader. It's worth telling someone that you're in that space because eternity is at stake. Well, those are the first two uh, landings for the seed. But the third one is uh, the thorny thorns. <laughs> The seed that's scattered into the weeds. And so again, uh, in verse 7, Jesus is speaking to the crowd and he says, other seed fell among thorns and the thorns came up and choked it. And jump down to verse 22 and you see the explanation. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You see, this seed, it grows well. Uh, it's just look, kind of landed in a, in a bad place, you might say. It's, it's in a bunch uh, amongst other stuff, some weeds, some thorns. Um, and, and they actually seem to grow pretty well as well, don't they, those thorns? In fact, uh, it's those worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, those desires for other things that actually come and they choke the word. They not only distract, but they take hold of. And Jesus is pointing to its deceitfulness of wealth, right? The things that allure us and are good gifts from God, 
but are used in the wrong way. Wealth offers the illusion of security and comfort without God. That I can be sort of significant on my own or self-sufficient. That I don't need to ask, I can provide. I have, I have money. And so each of us sitting here today ought to pause and reflect and think through. Where is it for us? How is the deceitfulness of wealth or the worries of this world, how are they choking the Word of God in your life at the moment? What ways are you kind of preoccupied with other things that are going on in life? Right now, what's the thing that you're worried about immediately after church? The jobs you have to do, the things that need to be done for the week ahead. What are the things that are occupying our minds where we're overthinking things and and elevating stress levels? This choking, it's, it's, it's not fast, it's gradual. It's less detectable because it's a bunch of little decisions that are made along the way. You know, think about Judas, uh, one of the twelve. He sort of represents this third surface, doesn't he? That he heard the word, and yet the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choked that word and proved unfruitful. Maybe there are things that are vying for your attention, pushing you away from coming along to church on Sundays. They're, they're preventing you from getting along to connect group. They're uh, inhibiting building relationships with other Christians, from reading his word and listening to him. So often we see people who are on fire, metaphorically, on fire for Jesus, uh, and then they make decisions to marry people who don't love Jesus. Or they um, take jobs that take them out of being involved in Christian community. And slowly but surely, the world chokes the word in their life. It's like the slow strangle of a, of a carpet python. Just deadly. And so, friends, we need to hear this warning from Jesus. Because ultimate satisfaction is found in following him. In hearing Jesus and living a life in right response to him. Everything else will be totally unfruitful. You see, as we think about these three first responses, we see that the seed, it doesn't take root because either uh, the, res- the person, the type of people are hard or shallow or uh, self-indulgent outwardly. Sorry, inwardly. <laughs> they're hard hearts. It's their, their shallow thinking and their self-indulgent perspective. But then outwardly, it doesn't grow because of Satan, because of persecution, because of trials and temptation. And the two work together. But there is hope. Because in the fourth soil, we see the good ground. In verse 8, Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He says, Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. And the explanation comes that the one sown on good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word who does produce fruit and, and, and yields. Some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Friends, this is the person who uh, accept, hears the word of God and accepts it. They actually want to know, they want to grow, they want to hear Jesus in their life and to grow to be more like him. This is the type of hearing that, that makes an impact in the way that we think, in the way that we act, the way we live. It's the type of hearing that drives us to know our God. It's the type of uh, hearing that 
helps us to understand that all of life <coughs> excuse me, is knowing God. That theology is practical, right? That as we understand who God is, He changes how we live. <clears throat> and God, God, God wants us to keep living lives that honor Him, that grow to know Him more and more. We think about the way Paul explains this. His goal for the Christian is to mature. It's to know God better and better. He says this in Colossians 1, Him we proclaim, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the picture of the seed planted in the lives of Christians. Good soil, that mature yield is produced. And so, friends, this is why Jesus speaks in parables, to, to kind of probe inside us, to see if we really understand the gospel and whether the gospel is really beginning to transform our lives. They're not just stories. No, they're weapons of spiritual warfare. And so, as we've taken a look at this story today, we've seen that the seed is the unchanging Word of God, that these kingdom parables are driving us to consider our response to the God-man Jesus. And the question is, will we listen to God's own Son? Will we follow Him? Will we let the transforming power of the gospel sink its roots into our lives, deep down into our hearts, that we may be a bunch of people who produce fruit and yields, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown? Let anyone who has ears listen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And we give you great thanks that you have planted it in our hearts. And we're sorry for the times when we don't listen, when we listen to ourselves and others over you. We ask that you would help us to uh, seek your forgiveness in those moments, that we would be people who uh, move to be grown more and more like your son. Help us to remain captivated by him, to live a life that is listening more and more to you through your word, as you surround us with people who do likewise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.